I want to encourage you to grab a Bible and open it to Genesis chapter 10. We're going to get there eventually. If you'd like, you're welcome to follow along a reading that I'm going to do from Acts chapter 17 also. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you. If you don't have one at home, you take one of ours. We'd be glad to give that to you. We like giving them away. Today's going to be a little bit different. This isn't a real preachy message. This is going to be more of a Bible study. Uh, I'm nervous, um, and that's not uh, that's unique for me sometimes. Uh, so let's just uh, let's just get going. We're studying through the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapters one through twelve, and we've talked about just a little bit of a recap. We've talked about God's creation. Uh, we saw Adam's disobedience and the cost of it. Uh, by Noah's time, evil was so prominent uh, among every uh, and all living flesh, not just human flesh, uh, but animals as well, uh, that God destroyed the then-known world, saved Noah and his family. We trace the flood and God's preservation of Noah and his family and the animals. Last week, we worked through Ham's disgrace uh, after they got off of the ark and Noah's response to that as well. And this morning, in our, in our time together, uh, it's going to be different. Uh, it's going to be more of a Bible study. I hope the visual helps us. It's, it's current events as well, uh, taken primarily from Genesis chapter 10 uh, because of the names that are used there. A long time after Noah walked the earth, even after Jesus' earthly ministry, the Apostle Paul was in Greece sharing the gospel on a missionary journey, and he was placed in a stadium called the Areopagus. Um, he had been proclaiming salvation in Christ, and the people wanted to hear more, so they took him to this Areopagus, which was not uncommon. Uh, it was a city of philosophers, and they thought, what's this new teaching? Um, it's a good introduction to our reading in Genesis 10, which is a genealogy of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You say, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. I had so much fun in the last couple, two or three weeks over this. That's how boring I am. <laughs> Acts chapter 17 says this, Paul is in the Areopagus. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, verse 22, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every, every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So what Paul did in his evangelistic tactic is he found some sort of a common ground so that he could enter in to present Jesus Christ. And the common ground was they had a statue uh, that was to the one we don't know. To the unknown God. And he says, well, the one you don't know, that's the one I know, and that's the one I want to present to you. This I proclaim to you, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, that takes us back to Genesis. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek God. I want to go back and read that one again. He made from one man, and we know that that would have been Adam, 
And then as things got horrible, it would have been just from Noah. And then from Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and we read, I think it was the last verse of Genesis chapter 9, uh, that said that everyone that populates the planet these days came from either Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Okay, So he made from one man, started with Adam, then went to Noah, and then his sons. And he made them uh, from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. And we're going to see a little bit of that this morning, the boundaries of their dwelling places as we work our way through Genesis chapter 10. But the purpose was that they should seek God. That was the intent. That was his desire is that he made everything for the purpose that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, whether we know it, acknowledge it or not, uh, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then the offspring, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance, that would have taken us all the way back to old, pre-Old Testament, excuse me, Old Testament before, before Israel was established. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so what Paul is saying is, you worship this unknown God, I'm going to tell you who he is. He's the one who created heaven and earth, gives us life and breath and everything. He established mankind, spread us out over the face of the earth that we would seek him. And, and he looked over times of ignorance. That doesn't mean that they're in. That's a unique little understanding all by itself. But then he says, he now commands all men everywhere to repent. The only way that you and I are in the body of Christ or in God's family isn't because we were born on the face of the earth as mankind. It's because we have repented and been adopted into the body of Christ through the person of Jesus Christ. It's by his blood that we can be forgiven. And he's given assurance of his judgment in the end because he has raised him from the dead. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, this is what happens today is what happened then. Some mocked. Others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. He made from one man, verse 26, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. And I don't know everyone here or even those that I do know the condition of your heart before the Lord. But I would say this because of Acts 17. If you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, today would be a great day to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's, it's absolutely imperative. It's critical. God will judge the world. He's let us know that he will judge the world because he raised Jesus from the dead. That's what the apostle is saying here. In Genesis 10, go back there if you will, in Genesis 10, we have what is often called the table of nations. Genesis 10 is a genealogy of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
And there's going to be a map on the screen behind me. And Nateen, you can go ahead and throw that up. When I read through this, and I'm going to read really slow and just kind of pay it, don't pay any attention to the way I pronounce some of the words that you might pronounce them differently, okay? Uh, I don't know, guessing you don't either, so we're just going to plow through these things. Um, and we're not going to read the whole thing, and I'll tell you why in a minute. When I read through this, the map on the screen behind me is going to help identify where the boundaries were that Paul talked about in Acts chapter 17, um, where these ancient world individuals settled. In Acts chapter 10, all we get is their names, but in time they move out uh, and they settle. And I want to mention that Acts, in Acts chapter 10, in Genesis chapter 10, in Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11, they're not written chronologically. In Genesis 10, we have the names of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their descendants, and where they would go in time. And it mentions about the different languages and the different nations. And so it almost gives us the picture that they're out uh, inhabiting the whole world. But we remember that in Genesis chapter 11, mankind didn't want to leave and go where he was supposed to uh, be fruitful uh, and multiply and fill the earth. What they wanted to do is they wanted to stay near Babel. Um, if we leave, we're going to be afraid, we're not going to be together. And so Genesis 10 and 11 go together, but they don't go chronologically. We're going to deal with Genesis 11 uh, next week, Lord willing. These, verse 32, I want to start there. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from, the, and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. And I wanted to highlight for you... This is Japheth, and you can see his red, he's red, and we can get a pretty good idea of where his people stayed. Shem is a little bit more green, and we find some of them down in here mixed a little bit with some of Ham as well. We find Lud up here, and then we find Ham, and Ham was the one who did a disgraceful act that isn't uh, identified uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 9, and these are his peoples, and they're a little bit yellow, and so we're going to we're going to look at these names, and this is what I'm going to do. I've asked Terry if he'd help me, so we got moving parts this morning. I really hope it goes well, okay? Or actually, what I, what I mean by well is I really hope that you get it, okay? Uh, and so, so you have your part. You're supposed to get it, okay? Uh, but when I, when I read a name, and I'm going to read very slowly, Terry is going to highlight where that individual is on this particular map. And in a little while, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a modern map beside this map because we don't know who the nation of Magog is or the nation of Put or Cush. But when we put it on a map that's modern and we see Turkey or Iraq or Iran, that helps us an awful lot. And it gives us a really good understanding of what's going on in our world today. I read an article this week uh, that talked about Israel and it talked about what's going on in Gaza. It talked about what's going on in, in uh, the West Bank as well as Golan Heights. They're just being attacked from all different kinds of areas. So hopefully this is going to be a useful tool. But let me say this, even secular scholars recognize Genesis 10 as one of or even the best explanation of ancient mankind and where and how they populated the earth. And I find that pretty interesting because it's pretty rare that secular scholars agree with a lot of things that are biblical. So I'm going to read through this and then we're going to make it practical uh, there is a parallel list of these names, and it's over in First Chronicles chapter 1, 
we're not going to look at it today, but that might be something you want to read later on. The way we're going to do this is we're going to read the passage, uh, and then we're going to look at Ezekiel 38, which is an end times prophecy, and we'll see some of these same names. He doesn't use the name Iran, Iraq. He uses the names that he went back to Genesis 10 to get, the table of nations. They're going to come up again, and we're going to be able to identify them with people groups, with names that we recognize, and it's going to show us we are not the center of our world. They are the center of our world. Israel is. Uh, and so uh, either it just got dark or I'm dying. I'm not sure which. <laughs> All right. Okay, Jer. Uh, these are the genealogies. Let me get some water. <sighs> Nervous. These are the genealogies of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, Togomar. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish. Kittim and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. And what we notice right away is of the sons of Japheth, he takes some of those sons and gives us their genealogies. He doesn't do that with all of them. And especially what we're going to see is some of the critical names that we find later on in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Um, we'll see it referenced as well as, uh, we'll see it referenced as well in uh, end times prophecies are from the uh, names uh, that are especially highlighted. Verse 6 says this, the sons of Ham, so that was Japheth. The sons of Ham, we're not going to do the sons of Seth, and the reason we're not going to do the sons of Seth is because in Genesis chapter 12, we see God calling out Abraham, and he is from the line of Seth. Seth would ultimately produce Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes, and Jesus would come from the tribe of Judah, uh, and we're, we're going to be able to take care of that when we get over to Genesis chapter 12. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, how'd you like that for a name? Put. And Canaan, the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ra'amah, and Sabtaka, the sons of Ra'amah, Sheba, and Dedan, they're referenced a little bit later on in Ezekiel 38. We're not going to read that. They were asking those that were invading Israel, what are you going to do? Are you going to take all their plunder? And that's exactly what they were going to do. Cush, verse 8, fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And you know, when you read verse 8 and 9 and you read that about Nimrod, there's not an awful lot that said you would think, you know, Nimrod was just this guy that honored God. Nimrod absolutely didn't honor God. He was the one who founded Babel, um, which would result in the Tower of Babel, which would result in Babylon, which, resu which also results in Babylon the whore over in Revelation. Nimrod was mighty for sure. Um, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, but he wasn't righteous. Uh, that's for sure. The beginning of his kingdom, Nimrod, was Babel, Eric, Akkad, 
Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. We don't hear much about that city, but it would be interesting to study it. It's declared a great city. Egypt fathered Ludum, Ananim, Lehabim, Nathahim, Parusim. I was going to say calcium, but it's not calcium. Uh, they just didn't, they didn't have the creativity, did they? Uh, Caslehim, from whom the Philistines came, and uh, Kaphtarim. And I want to read something about the Philistines. And the reason I want to do that is because if you're familiar with your Old Testament, we recognize that the Philistines consistently gave Israel a hard time. Listen to this. It even brings uh, some light to modern day things. The Philistines were an aggressive, whoremongering people who occupied territory southwest of Israel between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. The name Philistine came from the Hebrew word Philistia and the Greek rendering of the name Palestine. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Palestine. Given to us, giving to us a modern name, Palestine. It's through, it's, uh, it is thought that the Philistines uh, originated in Captor, the Hebrew name of the island of Crete, uh, and the whole Aegean region, and there's some Bible verses that indicate that, for unknown reasons, they migrated from that region to the Mediterranean coast near Gaza. Well, that's in the news and has been for quite a while and will be. Uh, because of their maritime history, the Philistines are often associated with sea people. When I read that, I couldn't help but think of the chant that's going on these days, from the river to the sea. And the idea there is just wipe out everything so that we have control of everything there. The Bible records that the Philistines had contact with both Abraham and Isaac uh, as early as 2,000 years before Christ. And you can look at some Bible references if you like those. Verse 15, we're continuing on with the sons of Ham. We have Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites. Terry, go ahead and circle that up there around where Israel is, if you would. The Jebusites and the Amorites and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Archites, and the Sinites, and the Arvidites, and the Zeramites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, and Zebulim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clan, their languages, their lands, and their nations." We're not going to trace Seth's line like I mentioned. We're going to do that in Genesis chapter 12. So what I want us to do is I want us to, just having that map in our mind of, of Japheth and Ham and their descendants, I want us to look at Ezekiel chapter 38. So open your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 38. And Ezekiel chapter 38 is a prophecy that God gave to Ezekiel, his prophet, about end times. Just to give you a little bit of background, Ezekiel chapter 37 was also a prophecy, a prophecy of the dry bones, and that's when Ezekiel was told to breathe life into the dry bones, and God was taking his children, Israel, from the nations of the world and bringing them back into their land, which is something that we've seen uh, happen in our lifetime. And with Ezekiel chapter 38, I want the second map to be put up on the 
on the uh, screen if we could, because what we're going to see is we're going to see the Old Testament ancient map, and now we're going to be able, and Terry's going to do this. As I read through these names, Terry, if I give you the time to do this, I want you to kind of highlight where Magog is and then go over to this new map and highlight where that is as well. And that will help us give a little bit of context in our world. Ezekiel 37, I mentioned Ezekiel 38, an end times prophecy, a word from God through Ezekiel, how things are going to progress in the end times. And when I say end times, I'm referring to God's future word uh, for his plan, not only for the nations, but especially for Israel and ultimately for a new heaven also. And so that's just kind of a generic term um, that's used there. What I want you to see is how God uses the names of the descendants of Ham and Japheth. You and I might not recognize the names by the the places by these names, but as I but as I read, Terry's going to highlight those, both the old and the and the new in our in our modern world, so we can get an idea of what's going on. So I'm in Ezekiel 38, and I'm going to read there. And this is what it says: The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Set your face toward Gog and the land of Magog. Gog was the individual in charge of Magog the land. Set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of... And your Bible either has Meshesh and Tubal, or it has Rosh and Meshesh and Tubal. If it doesn't have Rosh, it probably has a little number, and it's over in the side or down below. Um, and, and that would be Rosh. Sounds like Russia because it is Rosh, Russia. Uh, the uh, Son of Man, set your face against toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshesh and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you. Bad start. Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshesh and Tubal. I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaw. I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, and all them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. And so what God tells Gog is, I'm going to make this happen to you, like you're catching a fish. I'm going to hook you, and I'm going to bring you down. You will come, and they will, uh, without a doubt. I will turn you about, put hooks in your jaw. I will bring you out. and all your army, horses and horsemen, all them that are fully armored, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Verse 5. Persia, Terry, Cush, and Put are with them. All of them, will, uh, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togamah, from the upper, uttermost parts of the north, with all his hordes, many people are with you. And so Ezekiel 38 goes back to Genesis 10 and uses the names of the individuals that were descendants of Japheth and, and Ham and says this is what it's going to be like in the end times. Now we don't recognize those names, but when we look on this map over here, we recognize that. And so the people of Turkey and Russia and Iraq and Iran and Sudan, that's who he's talking about. And he's... He says, I'm going to put a hook in your mouth and I'm going to bring you against my land, against my people. And he has a purpose for doing that. Gog is a person, I'm quoting, whenever, uh, whoever Gog is, he's from the land of Magog and is the leader of Tubal and Meshech, and you might have Rosh as well, and a confederacy of other nations, Persia, Cush, Put, 
Gomer, and Beth Togomar, and whoever he is, he will have a plan to attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, that would be Israel, verses 5 and 6, uh, verses 11, 14, and 18. But regardless of Gog's plans, the Lord God is against him and will defeat him soundly. Magog is a land in the far north from Israel's point of view. Most Bible commentators interpret Magog as Russia, and indeed Russia is straight north of Israel all the way up to the Arctic Circle. According to this view, Rosh is a reference to Russia. Meshech is either Moscow or the people uh, north of the Black Sea, the southern area of Russia and Ukraine. Isn't that interesting? that Putin would have an interest in Ukraine. It isn't, I mean, for him, it might just be about land, it might just be about money, but listen, let's not forget that God raises up kings that he wants, and he takes down kings that he wants. And I know we think we vote them in, but I've got a feeling that our voting somebody in is the one that God has raised up for our, for our nation at the time that God has it for our nation. And it might not be according to our good the way we want it. It might be that it fits according to his plan, because he has a plan for the nations for the ages and Genesis 10 and Ezekiel 38 help us understand a little bit of that Meshach is either Moscow the people of the north of the Black Sea which would be Russia and Ukraine and Tubal which is all, all, always listed with Meshach in scripture is identified as a city in Siberia uh, or an area in central Turkey according to the Bible there will come a time when Russia in alliance with several other countries will amass a huge army against Israel with a view to plunder the Jews, the Jews' land. The nations aligned with Russia for this military endeavor are Persia, which would be modern-day Iran, Put, modern-day Libya, Kush, modern-day Sudan, Gomer, part of modern-day Turkey, Beth Togama, Armenia. Most of these nations are currently... M- m- most of these nations are currently militant Islamic states with an expressed hatred against Israel. Isn't that interesting? All the way from, all the way from Noah's genealogy. Be ready, it says in verse 7, and be, and be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountain of Israel, which has been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. That would be a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. You will, you will advance and come on like a storm. You'll be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many people with you. Thus says the Lord God on that day... Thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls, having no bars or no bars or gates to seize spoil, to carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell at the center of the earth. It's going to happen. And God is batting 1,000 on his fulfilled word. And if he says this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Do we have to seek to understand exactly what it means that it's going to happen? Sure, we have that responsibility, but it will. Drop down to verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? 
You will come from your place out of the uppermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land that these nations may know me when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And he makes the declared reason for why he does that, and he does it even more so in verse 23. Thus says the Lord God, as you, uh, are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? So what he just said is this. Genesis 10 gives us the names of, of Shem, Ham, and Japheth's sons and their descendants, and ultimately where they settled and that they were nations and had their own tongues. And then God said, through his prophets, he's used those names, bringing a word to his people. And, 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 and we have the, the ability and wherewithal and the responsibility of studying that out and recognizing who it is that those are. But on that day, verse 18, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be aroused in anger. For in my jealousy, in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. And now we get back to creation, verse 20. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the beasts of the field, and all creeping things that creep on the ground, and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down, and the cliffs shall fall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains declares the Lord God every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence and bloodshed I will enter into judgment with him and I will rain upon him and his horses and the many peoples who are with him torrential rains and hailstone fire and sulfur and it references some of the some of the uh, 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 judgments that we find in Revelation uh, during the tribulation show so I will Will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of the nation. And then he says this, then they will know that I am the Lord. No more false gods, no more bowing down to an idol. They're going to know that the God of creation is in absolute control. They'll know that. Doesn't mean it's the last revolt, but they'll know that. Verse 29, just a couple of verses. My holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel. I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, it is coming and it will be brought about, declares the Lord. This is the day which I have spoken. It would be the day of the Lord, the day of his anger. That day, we find that reference several times. I will set my glory among the nations and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forth. Forward. This is going to be a fulfillment of what we see in Romans chapter 11, verses 12 and 25, the full inclusion of Israel after their partial hardening is what he calls it over in Romans because of their resistance of God when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So that's Genesis 10. Now what I want to do is I, for about three minutes, just want to do a little application and devotional thought. The God who created all of this and then sustained Noah and his sons who knew their descendants and their names and where they would inhabit the earth and placed boundaries around where they would inhabit the earth, Acts 17, who would later have his prophets speak about their future activity according to his plan. He has a plan 
who knew their specific names and locations and prophesied against them in Ezekiel 38 and 39, who brought Israel together in Ezekiel 37, that same one who is batting a thousand in fulfilled, pro- in fulfilled prophecy will bring this to pass. But listen to this. He is the same one who knows exactly how many hairs I have on my head right now. And he knows how many hairs you have or don't have, no pun in, well, kind of a pun, on your head right now. And that's not just here. That's everywhere. And that's not just now. That's here and everywhere and all over all of time. And he has placed his love upon us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we would believe in him and follow him and have life in his name. I think we heard today that Jesus didn't come to condemn, but he came to save. There is going to be a condemnation day, but Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. There, Scripture says, Matthew 10, I think is where it is, there isn't anywhere that a sparrow falls to the ground that our vast God doesn't know that the sparrow fell to the ground. And then he says, you're a whole lot more important than the sparrows. The God who planned all of that is the one who sent his son to die on the cross that we might have relationship with him. Not religiosity, that we might know he is the Lord God. There is no other. And he's worthy of following. Amen? And his plan is going to happen. And it, isn't, it is not okay that we just close our eyes because it's a little too hard to understand. We need to open our eyes and open our ears and listen for a trumpet sound and look for the coming of the Lord because he's the one who has given us a word that he's coming again and we need to be ready. The response that is natural to the vastness of God knowing every detail about our life, even the dark ones, knowing how many hairs I have on my head, even if I lose some every day. And that's just one aspect of his amazingness, his, 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 his understanding and his knowledge. That's just one aspect. The response that is logical, the only response that is logical, we find in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It is your reasonable, it is a reasonable service of worship. He knows me, and he loves me anyway. He knows what I have on my head, and he knows what I have in my heart. And he knows what I speak with my mouth, and where my eyes go. And he still loves me. And he's conforming me to the image of Christ. The only logical response is, God, here I am. Use me in service to you. It is illogical. It is foolish to have any other response to the vastness of God. That's Genesis 10. That's pretty good. Father, we bow before you. Amazed at you knowing Gomer and Put and Cush and setting boundaries. Amazed that we can look on modern maps and see what's going to happen in Ezekiel 38 in times to come. Amazed that in your vast knowledge, 
that you still love us. You're mindful of us. And who are we that you would be? And yet we see that you are. May we, may I respond appropriately. And I pray that's the response of every person within hearing distance. Because of who you are and the vastness of who you are. And that you have a plan for your entire creation. And that you're mindful of me. May I respond with a life that is a living sacrifice. A spiritual service of worship that you merit. And I pray you drive that into the heart of every single one of us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.